Last week, I was at our new church plant, West Columbia. 350 people were there. Now, this, this church started in, uh, on Easter. They don't have preschool, uh, maybe preschool, but don't have children. That, you know, we're just kind of starting. They have stopped advertising because so many people are showing up. And, and the full launch happens in September. And we're scared to death, praise Jesus. We don't know what we're going to do with all the people. Now, if, you, if you're going to have a problem, that's the problem you want. As uh, where we're going to park all these people, where we're going to put all these people. Brandon is doing an excellent job down there. And it was a lot of fun uh, preaching down there. Uh, last night, this past weekend, we have uh, hosted the Medical Missionaries Conference uh, for the International Mission Board. And uh, doctors, nurses, pharmacists, all from all over the world were here. And uh, it was uh, impressive to be part of those worship services. Uh, as, as a result of their being here, uh, several of those uh, who were in attendance worked with special needs children all over the world. And so they got a tour of the Rowan Glen Center and uh, start, started talking to Tiffany. And as a result of those conversations, it looks like we're going to have special needs ministries going to uh, South Africa with Living Hope and maybe another one in Nigeria. So from one building that we thought was just focusing on our own community, we now have an international impact and special needs ministry. And that happened because of you. And we are grateful, and yeah, we celebrate that. That's, uh, uh, that's impressive. When I was uh, a little boy in Huntsville Park Baptist Church, the middle of village church that my parents and, and I attended as a family, we always celebrated as good Southern Baptists those men and women who felt the call to foreign missions and those men and women who would give their lives to go to Asia, Africa, and, and share the gospel with those who had not heard it. And, and the story was told that if you were a really, really good Christian, if you really, really loved Jesus, then you too would grow up and give your life to international missions. You really loved Jesus if you went somewhere else. And we would celebrate these. Uh, we would bring home the missionaries on furlough and they would come and they would, they would preach on a Sunday or do a Wednesday night prayer and they would wear funny clothes and they would have slides and, and we would listen to the mission story and we would be told, man, if you really love Jesus, you'll come to the mission field. And I would always wince when I heard that because I, I didn't want to go anywhere. Um, John Thomas at Sa uh, Living Hope in South Africa calls me, you know, a couple times a year, come, come to South Africa, come to Living Hope. John, there's a big ocean between me and you. That's God's way of telling me, stay home, mind your own business. So, I, I, listen, you know me, Nashville is north. <laughs> I don't like going to a restaurant if the, if the server doesn't call you hun. I, I don't trust them. I, you know, that's me. I just, I just don't like that. But, and it's interesting that when you start reading scripture, what you find out is, is that most of the people after an encounter with Jesus went home. Now we celebrate the mission journeys of Paul. We celebrate the missionary work of Peter, but most everybody else 
went home. It's interesting, isn't it? Some of the toughest mission fields you know about are closer than you think. Some of the ripest fields for harvest are places you already know. What if, like Caleb, you have been promised the land that your feet have already walked on? What if your missionary calling is to go home? Let's pick up the story in the 14th chapter of Joshua. Stand with me in honor of God's word. The descendants of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, and they said to him, you know what the Lord promised Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the Lord's servant, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to scout the land, and I brought back an honest report. My brothers who went with me caused the people to lose heart, but I followed the Lord my God completely. And on that day, Moses swore to me, the land where you have set foot will be an inheritance for you and your descendants forever because you have followed the Lord your God completely. As you see, the Lord has kept me alive these 45 years as he promised since the Lord spoke these words to Moses while Israel was journeying in the wilderness. And here I am today, 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as I was the day when Moses sent me out. My strength for battle and for daily tasks is as now as it was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me on that day because you heard that then as now the Anakim are there as well as large fortified cities. Perhaps the Lord will be with me and I will drive them out as the Lord promised. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron, Hebron as an inheritance. Therefore, Hebron still belongs to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, as inheritance today because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, completely. Hebron's name is, used to be Kerioth Arba because Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim. After this, the land had a rest from war. Now give me this hill country the Lord promised me on that day. This is the Lord's word, God's word for God's people. Hear it, believe it, and live. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, sometimes the hardest place to be is where we already are. So give us the courage to stand on the land that is now under our feet. To not be afraid. To be bold in our witness to those who are closest to us. We pray this in your name. Amen. This was my father's favorite passage in all of the Bible. If you wanted to see my father get jacked up, ask him about Caleb. This prayer of Caleb, give me that mountain, was my father's motto. And as I've told you before, 
My dad would sit in the front room of our house and he would study a Sunday school lesson. If he really got excited about something, he would run interrupt me and my brother who were in the back den watching television and he would tell us about what he had discovered for his Sunday school lesson. This was one of those stories. Guys, can you believe this? Look at what Caleb wanted. Lord, give me that mountain. Can you believe that? That is the most exciting prayer. Give me something hard. And we're saying, that's great, Dad, you're in front of the TV. You remember the story. The Hebrew children have come out of Egypt across the wilderness, and now they are on the front door of the promised land. All they have to do is cross the River Jordan, and they're in there. Moses sends 12 spies over to get a report of the land, scope it out, they come back. Joshua and Caleb, two of the spies, say, this is a good land, we can take it, we need to move now. The other 10 say, it is a good land. But the people who live there are giants and we felt like grasshoppers when we were next to them. We can't take it, we aren't strong enough. And as the argument goes on, all of a sudden the land isn't worth it. And those 10 spies disheartened the people of Israel and they no longer had the faith to follow God into the land. God judges them and says, because you didn't believe the generation that would not follow will never go into the promised land. So they circled in the wilderness for 40 years. Only Joshua and Caleb were spared. And now they're in the promised land. And Caleb comes to Joshua and says, now you remember what Moses promised me. He promised me the land that my feet had already walked on. He promised me the land my feet had already walked on. Now, give me the hill country. Give me the mountains. That's where I want to be. It is the Lord's promise to me. And the Lord was serious about that promise. This is not the only time it's mentioned. It's mentioned when the judgment is passed on the people of Kadesh Barnea. It's, it's mentioned in the opening chapters of Deuteronomy where God reminds Moses, now remember, this is what I promised Caleb because of his total trust in me. I promised the land that he had already walked on. That's interesting, isn't it? Because you want to know when Caleb was spying out the land and he walked in that beautiful hill country of Israel, did he say to himself, Oh, this is the best place of all to live. I hope when we move here, when we take the promised land, that the Lord will give me this. You know, sometimes the Lord answers prayers and you don't even know you're praying them. So when God promised Caleb, I'm going to give you the hill country, I'm going to give you the land that you've already walked on. Did Caleb recognize that, oh, that's the place I wanted most of all. The place you know best. The place your feet have already walked. When you read the New Testament, most of the people that had an encounter with Jesus went home. The woman at the well turns and runs back into her village and begins to tell everybody that Jesus is here. She went back home. Legion, he goes home 
Now, he doesn't want to. Remember the story? Jesus confronts Legion. He's called Legion because there are so many demons within him. He casts out the demons, and at the end of that story, when Jesus and the disciples are getting ready to live, leave Legion, the man who had been filled with so many demons, tries to leave with Jesus. And Jesus tells him to go home. Can you see the story? This man wants to get away from those people that have chained him up, that have beat him, that have tied him up with ropes. And he's putting one leg over the other, trying to get into the boat before it leaves. And the disciples are looking at him like, whose place do you think you're going to take? And there's only so much space on this boat. And Jesus puts his hand on his shoulder and says, no, I need you to go home. Why in the world would he want to go home? Home is where the hurt is, isn't it? And a lot of you, a lot of you would do anything rather than go home. Home is where you were hurt. Hurt home is where you were betrayed. Why in the world would Jesus send you back home? Well, there's a couple of reasons. One, it's the place where your testimony would be most seen. We can argue and debate theology all we want, but in the end, it's the power of a changed life that is most convincing. This is who I was, this is what happened when I met Jesus, and this is who I am now. It's the power of a changed life. Peter and John heal the lame man as they walk into the temple. And as everybody's arguing about whether or not you you have the power to heal, the man is standing next to Peter and John. It's hard to argue with that. The townspeople come out to see what's going on with Legion, and they find him sitting in front of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. It's hard to argue with a changed life. It's where your testimony may be most heard. The other thing, Jesus has no intentions of you and me limping through our life. And some of you were wounded at home and you think, I'll never go back. I'll never let them hurt me again. Now, let me, let me tell you something that I have learned. There are several things that frustrate me about Jesus. I know you want more out of me. I'm the pastor. I'm not supposed to do that. But listen. Okay, here's one of them. When I pray about something, I've got a problem, something hard. There's something pressing on me. I want Jesus to grab me throw me on the other side of the problem. I want to look back and say, that was close. That's not what happens. I'm going to give you fair warning. Okay? What happens? You start praying, I have a problem. This is bothering me. I can't get over. Okay? Um, You have a falling out with a friend, right? You're mad. They're mad at you. You're mad at them, right? And so you pray, Lord, help me with my friend. And what you're really praying is, get his act together so we can be friends again. (laughs) All right? Now, I want to guarantee you what's going to happen. When I start praying that, this guy I've got a problem with is going to be pumping gas right next to me tomorrow morning. 
He's going to be at the grocery store. He's going to be at the bookstore. He's going to be everywhere I am, everywhere I turn around, I'm going to sit around and face him. I don't know why, but here's what's going on. It took me years to figure this out. Because Jesus doesn't take you around any problem. He takes you through it. The Hebrew children did not go around the Red Sea. They went through it. Jesus did not trick death. He went through death. You don't walk beside the valley of the shadow of death. You go through it. You know why? Because once you're through it, you don't have to be afraid of it anymore. You don't have to worry about it catching up with you. That victory has already been won. And for some of you going home will be the most difficult, most healing, most exciting thing that will ever happen when you go home. When you go home and start loving the people, some who hurt you. When you go home and start caring for the people, some who betrayed you. Because it will be there that your impact is most felt. Do you know there is a new book coming out talking about why we have a decline in attendance in church? Experts, people who stay up late at night, worry about these things, say now we have figured this thing out. And you know what they found out? You think it's a decline in belief in God that now we have a nation full of atheists. That's not it. You know what it is? People are too busy. They have too many demands on their time. And so now, when they used to go grocery shopping during the week or Saturday, they now go Sunday morning. Now we have travel teams and we're traveling and playing ball all weekend long. Okay, now we're working 60 and 70 hours a week. Now we can work from home, which means you're never off. Right? I sent you an email. Why didn't you answer? And do you have people who send you a text and then text when you hadn't answered the text? You don't have time to go to church. So you've got your children one place, you've got the parents another place, and you have destroyed the home simply because nobody has time to be at home anymore. I get so tired of the church whining. We're in a country that doesn't love us. They're mean to us. Folks, we were born in a country that didn't love us. We've always been in a country that didn't love us. We've been in Rome before. We've been in Babylonian captivity before. And what happened? Here's what happened. Mothers and fathers said we will keep our faith alive and they taught their children. Because what moms and dads teach over the dinner table, no amount of social media can break down. They got off of the things that... that discounted or impacted their family in negative ways. Yeah, you get off social media. First chapter of Daniel. First chapter of Daniel. Daniel says he would not eat the king's food. 
he would not defile himself by eating the king's food. You and I have an obligation and a responsibility not to defile our minds by eating what culture is serving up. And you teach your child, you teach your grandchildren, you teach your neighbors, you teach your friends. Because you may already be in the place where Jesus wants you. So what happens if you walk to the end of your driveway and you look up and down your street and say, these are my people. This is the land under my feet. Give me this neighborhood. Give me this cul-de-sac. Give me this classroom, this office, this building, this city. Give me the land where my feet have already walked. Let's pray together. I don't want you feeling any kind of pressure. That's not what we do here. But I do want you thinking seriously about your life. For some of you, it's just a simple moment of commitment. This is what I want to do with my life. This is what's important to me. And I'm going to reduce the things that I have to do to make sure my family has godly priorities. Maybe it's to find a small group. Head to the Welcome Center. We'd love to keep that conversation going. Help you find out. Help you find out more about Brentwood Baptist Church. Or maybe this is the first time you have thought about a relationship with Jesus Christ and you don't know what to do next. That's okay. We don't expect you to have it all figured out. You find us over there at Welcome Center. You ask the question. We'll love to help you. Please, we beg you, do not go home with these questions unanswered. Lord Jesus, every life is in front of you, every, every heart. So now we pray that the choices and decisions we make are exactly what you want.